Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from down under outside Brisbane in Australia. It's episode 119 of the Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, we unpack Peter Gabriel's seminal work, I.O., for our 14th album, Archaeology. And as always, Primetime Jukebox is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand is consistently earning the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuador in Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo 30th Anniversary, Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Bono Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Nenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at perdomocigars.com. And, of course, we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cuba was the leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamistan Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Holiness and Husto have brought their very own brand to market and each contain the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest series, the Aladino Sumatra, and each represent that golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. The available at your local retail, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And, of course, we want to mention Tobacco RSA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco RSA, great things are happening here. And, finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Scars by Amy One by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest and darkest and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all Maduro Black and Scars Amity One by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Jukebox, episode 119. We are in a mid-January edition of the show. This is Will Cooper. I am in the Perdomo Scott Studios on the Black Stage. And I'm joined by my good friend in the... Uh, Southern and Eastern Hemispheres in the great country of Australia, Mr. Dave Burke. Hello, great country of Australia. Yes. Well, well, I, like Australia. I like Australia. It is. It is Except hot. This, it's hot. It's freezing here, by the way. So we are at 32 degrees in Charlotte as, as I'm doing this show. 
the heat is blasting in my, I in am, my uh, studio. Yeah. I am uh, uh, outside. It is uh, seven in the morning, and it is already like ninety-five degrees. Wow! Wow! It is going to yeah, get it, close to a hundred today. No wonder you wanted to do this a little earlier today. And I'm like, I can't. Oh, I know it's a, we're gonna have a big show today, but I can understand that too. Big. The yeah. thing about it is the humidity, because it'll be like a hundred, and then it'll be like eighty percent humidity. Yeah. Thing. It's like Florida. Florida's like that. You know, I was telling you before the show, it was cold in Tampa when I was there last week. You said that. But when I got into Tampa on Friday, it was humid. Now, you don't get that type of humidity in January in Tampa or any part right. of Florida. This was like this was like July type of humidity Oof. we had. But then after that, the temperature kind of we got some rain and it kind of like dried things out. But it got yeah, cold as well. Yeah. Oh, but no, just uh, basking in the uh, Packers win still. Yeah, no, I'll uh, give you. I'll I don't give, know how that's yeah. going to go. Listen, I, I'll say it on the air. I, I've been very critical of your coach. Uh, I'm not in love with your coach, but let me say that my criticism has been one thing. He doesn't win big January playoff games. He won a big January playoff game against the Cowboys on the road. Yeah. On the road. Um, So you could say Cowboys is scary. Guess what? His team, the Packers, were prepared to play football in that game, and a good—that's a good job. You got to say, I, I tell it like it is. I don't—I don't hate the guy for the sake of hating the guy. Um, I, I think, no. but in this case, in Dave's, he goes, "Yes, I have to be easier on this one now." It's a—it was a good win. Hey, the uh, big day for the uh, NFC North. Bad day for the NFC South or the NFC East. Yeah, Ooh. you know what's funny? It, it was a disaster because both the Eagles and the Cowboys. Lost. You could make an argument that the Giants were the hottest team in the NFC East at the end of the yeah, year. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. I mean, and they have their own problems right now, but um, with the coaching staff. But yeah, I mean, you talk about like two teams that, like, a lot of people thought this could be a Cowboys, uh, Eagles NFC championship with the, with the Niners in that mix. Obviously, I think those are the three teams everyone was looking at this year. Yeah, I. Uh... So we'll uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, we will have to do our. We we'll have to recap our our uh, football predictions from early in the year. Yeah, I mean, I assume we're gonna probably do something before the big game, like musically. So I think that'll be a good show yeah. to kind of recap. Uh, which this year I don't know if Dave's got the same fervor at the halftime show. Oh, um, it's Usher, man! But it's Usher. I, How I can you not have fervor? Well, I mean, Dave, it was Rihanna. I got fervor. It was oh, Rihanna well, last year. Oh well, yeah, well, I mean, you were more not, interested yeah. in the Rihanna halftime show in the game last year. That's me. Oh yeah, I mean, it's not going to be at that level. No, no, no. That you're, 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 you're right there. That's accurate. I mean, I remember Dave's at work when the game's going on because, like, it's it's a work day for him, and uh, he's like, "What's what's like?" He's what's like wanting to know Rihanna. What's she singing? I don't care what about the saying? score. Well, yeah, I don't what's care Rihanna about the score. Like, you know, it's a good game, Dave. Like, yeah, well, 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 what's Rihanna? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we got Super Bowl news and music news. As a matter of fact, yes, we do. We got a lot of stuff going on this week. Yeah, let's just let's just get into it, Coop. We got tons of music news. Yeah, we have yep. probably, as Coop said before the show, one of the hardest album archaeologies he's had to do. Oh my it's goodness, the densest, we'll get into the densest oh. album we've done, the densest concept we've done. It, yeah, and there was some cha- logistical challenges to do an album like this. 
Um, and this is not a complaint, but we'll get into because this is probably the most unique album archaeology we've done. Oh yeah, yeah, by far. Which is what kind of why we wanted to do it. Which is exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh the Oop series is going on, so we finished the top fifty. So I'm sending out some the Oop series, which is the fifty songs I forgot. Um, that's going on. I'm sending those out like I'm posting those as much as possible. So we'll get through those and get back into new music reviews. But but yeah, so so check that out at cigarjukebox.com. Um. You had, a, you had a couple. Too. You had a by the way, You had a couple of good hicks. I mean, not a couple. You had some really interesting uh, tracks on them. Um, the, the, the that that one. that Suzanne Sunfor one was a really interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Norwegian the one. Is, yeah. Yes. The the Oops series is always there's always weird stuff on there. Yeah. Kind of uh, yeah. off the beaten path stuff. Yeah. And new oldies has started the work. Uh, that will start to roll oh. out uh the week after next. So uh, Coop Coop Award season comes to a close next week, and then the, the music ones will come out. New oldies twenty twenty four. It might be a battle for second after you do the album. Yeah, here. it might be. But I do have I do have a pick for number. I have settled on a number one. So. Oh, I'm excited! One. I love I love the new oldies. I'm excited to yeah, see what yeah. it is. Yeah, I, it's it was a weird one because there was a lot to pick from this year, so it was a different. One. Yeah, it was a weird year. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, Pitchfork. Now this is new. Pitchfork, which is a site that Coop and I love, that I use a lot. Yeah. Ugh. To look at reviews, to look at the end of year list, they have been now rolled into. Uh, GQ Gentlemen's Quarterly, and I've had huge layoffs. Uh, this just happened like yesterday. So, to get a bit of history, so Pitchfork was bought by Condé Nast, which is the company that owns like Vogue and GQ and stuff. And as a cost cutting measure, uh, Anna Winter just said, Hey, we're just gonna roll it into GQ, and Pitchfork is no more. It's part of GQ, and they're laying off a ton of people. So the site's um, still up. The site was still up as I look today. Yes. I mean, the site might be still up. I don't know what they're going to end up. They're going to end up doing something with it. Because um, this was just announced yesterday. And a lot of staff have been posting their redundancy notices and stuff like that. So they're laying off a bunch of staff. If people want to know more about it, there's a great article by Laura Snapes in The Guardian, who also was a, was a writer for Pitchfork. She sort of goes over it quite well, some of the concerns now about what music they're going to cover. Is it going to cover as much music news, like in terms of like, like they're covering the sexual assault allegations against uh, Wynn Butler. They're covering... Uh, other sexual assault allegations against people they were covering. Like music news, like are they going to be that depth music news or is it just going to be reviews and, and they're not going to be as hard hitting anymore? Or... So there's a lot were, of questions. Yeah. Their, a reviews lot of questions. Were, their reviews were really good. You oh, know, yeah. I had to say like Billboard and Rolling Stone have made Pitchfork's life very difficult. Much like Cigar Aficionado yeah. makes online medias. Look, and they, they, these print publications, they flex a lot of muscle. 
and it's sometimes tough for a site like Pitchfork. But I would consider Pitchfork like the half wheel of like music. I mean, they were. Oh yeah. You go there, really good product. Um, and I would hate to see this go away. Now, on top of that, Dave, it was Sports Illustrated. Is yeah. looks like it's doomed. It was the end of Sports. Looks like it's done. Yeah, I mean, Sports Illustrated. I grew up with Sports Illustrated. I mean, my wife worked for them for a short time. You know that. Oh really? My wife worked for them out of college. Yeah, I used to get free Sports Illustrated for a long time. Oh, nice, nice so, move. Yeah, so she did. Uh, she wasn't involved with sports, but she did more uh, administrative stuff with them. Yeah. I mean, we sort of saw this, the beginnings of this when um, the New York Times rolled their sports coverage into the Athletic, and it's sort of these huge publications that sort of. Uh, consume all the smaller ones and then kind of roll it into each other to cut cost and yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. That's too bad because Pitchfork was great. Yeah, Pitchfork. Um, uh, I mean, it just was like a, a every. I mean, when I just, I just like wow. When I saw this yesterday, I was like, yeah, this was unbelievable. So it could be uh, a void that gets filled by NPR music because you know that won't be subsumed into anything so that might fill the void because npr music has sort of been growing but but pitchfork they reviewed like everything that's why i would i always put them as more like the half wheel that's why like I did every that. album you'd want yeah and, and they were very developing palettes like because they were the first ones to kind of bring in this this decimal point system so like it's not a it's not a seven it's like a 7.2 right right or like a six and they were tough. Like if you got on Pitchfork, if you got like an eight, that was almost like a perfect album. Right, right. Like they were hard. Like you could get uh album could get like a like a six point nine or six point eight on Pitchfork and it was incredible. And they you know, would review they were, just, they were they tough. review about they would review probably two or three albums a day. Yeah, and they were and some of them were just like weird. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's this experimental, like, you know, Taiwanese album. Yeah, something. exactly. But yeah, so that's a, a kind of an end of the era. I don't know what's going to happen, um, what they're going to do with it, and how that's going to look. So just something to keep keep your eyes yeah, on. Yeah, and they had some really good writers, too. So this is very, very oh, sad to see writers. this. Yeah. yeah, they really did. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Dedication show will be at the end of March. Yep. We probably will record. I guess we'll record that before PCA is the plan. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we'll get that out. So uh, this is the time where we get you start getting us our dedications. Yes. Uh, you can email those in. For people that don't know what the dedication show is, is that a loved one who's passed away, you want to dedicate a song to, um, you send that in. Uh, you can email it at cigarjukebox at gmail.com. We try to keep them all in one place. So if you put them on Facebook or Twitter, we'll probably miss it. So mm -hmm. best off emailing it. Email it, yes. Uh, and then we put them all together and we go through them on the show so you could dedicate a song to a loved one who's passed away. We celebrate their life. Uh, we talk about the tell a story, talk about the song they request or that you quest for them, and we do it while smoking that year's, or the previous year's, Las Calaveras. Yeah. Yep, uh, absolutely. Which, which, so, uh, uh, doing the scheduling, sometimes we've done it 
end of March. Sometimes you've done it beginning of April. Sometimes you've done it in the middle of March. Um, but this is all to say you can start sending your dedications in now at uh, cigarjukebox at gmail.com. We will start collecting them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so just you could just send in, you know, who they are, name, a story about the person, and then a song dedication. It could be someone that's passed away last year. It could be someone that passed away a long time ago. Like Coop and I will talk about our dads and, you know, my they, they passed my dad passed away forever ago. Yeah. I mean, that's what um, started the show for you. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and there's a few. Obviously, I have some other people that have kind of we've lost along the way. So yeah, we'll talk about that yeah. as well. <laughs> so yeah, send that through. We'll keep giving reminders about it because sometimes people forget stuff. Yep. Um. But yeah, so that will be coming up. Super Bowl news, Coop. Yes. Super Bowl news. So they have announced the pre-show entertainment or artists. I want your reactions to this, and then I'll, I'll give mine. So we have Andrew Day, who I well, people may not know who Andrew Day is. She was in the Billie Holiday movie, very good singer mm-hmm. in her own right. Um, she uh, is going to be part of the entertainment. She's probably going to do, well, like lift every voice up and sing um, that song. And then we have Coop, Post Malone, and Reba McIntyre. I think Reba's doing the anthem, and Post Malone's doing America the Beautiful or something. Uh, what are your thoughts? So, uh, I'm not doing handstands over this, right? But look, I I am interested in, uh, you know, the whole Andre Andre Day thing, right? I am, but this is where I think they're missing the boat. Okay, this is Las Vegas. Can I get something with like Las Vegas Entertainment? That I think you could Las Vegas could put on some very good shows. Production wise, I get, but I want a little bit of Las Vegas style entertainment here. Right. Um, give me kind of a Las Vegas entertainer, like someone doing a residency or something like that. Yeah. That's what I'm to me, they 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 seem to be taking the Las Vegas theme out of Las Vegas with, with these shows right now. Mm. I I I like you excited for Andrew Day because it's like last year, it's sort of ex- Exposing some artists that maybe not like, I like people that. Yeah. heard of. I like that. That's I'm fine good. with Reba as well. I'm fine with Reba as well. Love Reba, but All I right. just love Reba, so that's good. Post Malone, I don't get. I don't get Post Malone. I don't know why he's there. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. No, no, it, but... it definitely, it definitely doesn't. Um, I mean, they could have did some sort of medley of some of the people doing residencies there. Um, I, you know, I get some of them. Old. I mean, I get like Barry Manilow's older and stuff like that. But, but I'm just saying, they could have gotten a little more creative with this. I think. Um, yeah. Um, Post Malone is an odd choice. Well, they're me. going hip hop before and after too now, and we got hip hop coming at halftime. That's why I said it's just the whole thing. Seems I don't associate Las Vegas with hip hop. I just well, it'll be interesting to see what happens during the halftime show. I guess. Yeah, I mean the big question, and we'll—I know we're going to cover our thoughts on the halftime show, but the always the always look for the key thing is well, like last year we didn't get the collaboration with Rihanna. We thought there would be something, we didn't well, get it. So Rihanna. this That's year, we'll, yeah, we maybe this year we get something with Usher. Maybe I mean Usher has has featured on a lot of songs, so and I'm fine be... with the Usher choice, by the way. I mean Usher's 
pay oh, the yeah. dudes to do the halftime show. I just want to see something with Las Vegas entertainment in there. I, I guess that's where this is kind of where it's sullying me a bit. Well, we'll see. We'll see how, how they go. But I found that interesting. And that was this that's been announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and MLK Day was on uh, Monday, yep. on the 15th. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to that. And that if you're looking for music that talks about well, MLK Day specifically, it's the track by Public Enemy. It was big at the time. By the time I get to Arizona is the track. And that's about how Arizona was the last uh, state to get Martin Luther King Day as a national holiday. And they kind of voted to not have it. And it Yeah, was, Bear and I about, talked about that on about Tuesday that. night, actually. Yeah, that whole Arizona holding out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah and was... I think they put it to a vote and they voted not to have it. And then eventually in like 90. Yep. Yeah, they lost the like... super. They lost the Super Bowl, but I <laughs> yes, yeah, they lost the super. Because I was, we were talking a lot about the history of Martin Luther King Day because it was actually a state holiday in New York for many years before it became a federal holiday. Yes, uh, and they used to always do it on the fifteenth, which is his actual birthday. But mm. when it became a federal holiday, it became the third Monday of January. But it happened to be the third Monday in January is the fifteenth this year. Yep, yep. So yeah, so if you want some music. You know, that deals with that specifically. That's a great song. Um, goes into the history of that. Uh, so I wanted to give at least a bit of a shout out in music news to MLK Day. And yeah. you got, I didn't know this one. You got some uh, Madonna news. I didn't know I, this one. I saw this one and it touched the, it, it, it triggered me. Okay. Oh, wow. So here's the thing. Madonna is getting sued by a group of fans, right? Over the fact that her celebration tour concert started two hours late at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, Um, which which. But how many times have we gone to concerts and these things start on time? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is. Forever. okay. so my so Madonna seems like she's getting singled out here, which is a little unfair, Um, but. You know, apparently there's a little bit of history here because they Madonna. This concert was rescheduled from July of 2023 because Madonna wasn't feeling well. Um, but you know, according to court documents, they say consumers were golden to purchase these tickets for concerts at the Barclays Center to be put on by one of the premier performers over the last 40 years. Um, only to find out the concerts at the Barclays Center were advised to start at 8:30 p.m., but Madonna did not take the stage till 10:30 p.m. on all three nights. With most concert attendees leaving the Barclays Center after one a.m., see, I, I here's the thing, I do think this is wrong. I think this is artists have been doing this to, to fans for years. Oh yeah, and I don't understand like why we, I, it, I don't know why we should sit by. I don't know if we should pick on Madonna with this because she's not the only one. But no, I kind of like I'm like about time was kind of what I was thinking on some of this. I. My daughter and I went to see Biebs, the Bieber, when he was doing his Purpose tour, which is his one good album. Right. I love it, too. But uh, so he was playing in Melbourne the day before. Oh, was it the day before? It was either the day before or two days before. And he was like an hour late or something. And he got roasted, like roasted on social media roasted in the reviews just killed and 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 then he comes to brisbane and like guess what coop 
that show started five minutes early. He was like, Bang. "Wow!" <laughs> it was like it was early, um, and then you know it was funny. But it like it's like we saw Paul McCartney, right? And he started like half an hour, forty minutes late or something, and. It wasn't like Paul McCartney had to like drive to the venue. Like he was just hanging out or what like you know? He just I don't know. I mean, two hours is a bit much. But like I always expect going to a concert like half an hour, forty minutes, something like that. So I have a buddy I go to concerts with, his name's Phil Murphy, a great friend of mine. Guy goes to more concerts than anyone I ever met. I think he's I mean, if you want to say he goes to two hundred concerts a year. I mean, the, the, he's a he's a great guy. I've gone to concerts with him. He's nuts. Coop, we have to get to the concert the second the door opens. I'm like, Phil, oh, why do they yeah. start two hours late? No, we have to watch Soundcheck. He loves oh, yeah. watching Soundcheck. And he's, he's my guy. And what's cool, yeah, and what's cool is when you go to a Phil to a concert, he will talk you through the Soundcheck. Because that's what he, he actually is a board operator. That's what he does. Uh, he, oh, church. that's his part time thing he does. So he's into this. He's like, he loves going for sound check. So I go with him. Sometimes we have three hours before the show. Comes. Oh, yeah. Uh, opening acts even start late, too. But yeah. So. Yeah. But it, yeah, two hours, man. That is, uh, that's rough. That's rough. Um, And, you know, here's the thing I get it too. Like Brooklyn's not the, you know, Parkinson's in an okay neighborhood, but, you know, people going into neighborhoods at bad hours of the night, you know, people sometimes don't have rides, um, you know, so they're taking I'm, subways and stuff, which is, you know, not easy to but, deal with. I, I think they this, do need to be a little sensitive with, with two hours. Oh, yeah. But the suing, though, surely there's something on the back of the ticket that covers them. Like, you think. That's what I said, too. Like, I guarantee. Something. There's got to be something on the back of the ticket. Huh? Well, you know, we're not. This, uh, this is a general advisory time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Ah, yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Two hours is crazy. Two hours Did is crazy. Now, would you stay the whole two hours? You'd be like, oh, this is this ain't happening. Like, would you? What if would you do? I'd Just say. Sit there? I mean, yeah, if I paid a hundred. You know, yeah, I, mean, you I have too. done it. I have done it. I've been to concerts where it's two hours. Two um, hours. That's rough. I, I have been to some with two hours. Um, I'm sure that the Barclays Center probably liked it. Their concessions uh, yeah. went up. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm trying to think of some concerts. I mean, I noticed some that come to mind that were two hours late, but uh, Oof. yeah, I mean, I two definitely. Two hours is rough. Springsteen starts relatively quickly. Yeah. He doesn't do an opening act, so Springsteen is not really too much. Oh, you too. Well, that was late. like with, um, yeah. that was like with uh, Paul, and, I, and he didn't have an opening act, and he starts super late. I think that was the problem. Well, and a lot of it's sound check. A lot of it's uh, getting yeah. people to the arena and stuff, and you know they, you know, like I said, they don't feel they have to punch a clock. We were, um, we were seeing a band in Brisbane, and we were going out to dinner ahead of time because there's this place like right next to the venue, yeah. so we walk over there, and. My wife's like, it's like 10 minutes before the band's supposed to be on or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, oh, we better hurry up because uh, we're going to miss the band. And I said, I said, I don't think we're going to miss the band because the two tables away from us was the band. <laughs> and I, so I said, as long as we get out before they do, we'll be, we'll be all right. Right, right. That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> It was crazy. But no, so yeah, lots of music 
Music news. Yeah. So Coop, what are you what are you smoking for this cigar? Oh, cigar news. Sorry, I got a couple of cigar news things I want to tell you. Yes. So big news, uh, Dave, that's gonna hit Dave. The football cigar from La Florida Minocano was announced. Oh yeah. I think I'm gonna be getting my hands on some. So it is the the special football editions coming out. It's gonna be a six by fifty eight. I thought last year's was the best release they did of that. They're they're always so good. Yeah, this one's going to Nevada, but um. I don't see any problem with getting this cigar. Um, there's a lot. They're doing like 6,000 boxes, I want to say. Oh, or used, no, I don't know if they're not. I'm wrong on that. They're not doing it, but they usually aren't hard. But still. To yeah, yeah. They, they're not cheap. They're going to be $24. But, you know, I've been to the Forest Factory, Dave. I see the, the artesian work that they do to, to make some of these like special cigars. It's a lot yeah. of hand intensive work. I, I, you know what? Mm. I, if I have to pay $24 for a cigar, I know this is a good blend, and I know there was a lot of craftsmanship put into this. So yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. So I usually and really to... nowadays that's sort of like average price. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, Mil Diaz Maduro was announced. It's coming out of TPA. I saw that. Uh, so that's gonna be a broadleaf version of Mil Diaz, um, but not a broadleaf wrapper on the Mil Diaz. Completely different blend. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so he's got a bunch of broadleafs he's been doing because he's got Lake Carême, he's got Le Petitier, and now he's got Mil Diaz, and each is out of a different factory. So I think that's kind of cool he's got that going on. Gives you different expressions of what you're doing there. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, I got to mention this. Oh, here we go. Fratello has a fresh pack sampler. I saw that. You're but you know why? You know why I'm happy about this? Why is that? No one. Okay. If you zoom in on the picture, oh here we go! It's got the cigar coupe rating on the uh, bag. Oh, there we go for the for the, for the Bianco. So, yeah, I I was just, that was a big surprise. We got the press release, and then like uh, my wife found the found. She's like, you know, you're on the bag, and I'm like, I look, I'm like, holy cow, I am. Man, it's okay. I'll check that out. Yeah, uh, I will be getting some of those. I can promise. Wait, definitely. I, I can promise you on that. So, uh. uh and then the last thing uh, is uh, Amazon Basin's return for CAO. So I am excited for that cigar. I love that cigar when it came out. Yeah, it. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it, you know that price has gone up on on that. So it used to be a nine dollar cigar. Now yes. it's over fourteen. So they're uh, now. Abe said he got them and they went very quickly. He told me today. Mm. So, but I, I think they'll be around. I usually don't have a problem finding these cigars. So, I really liked when they released it originally. Yep, yep. it's so good. Yep, and they did a couple. They did a couple sizes of that, didn't they? Like, there's been a couple iterations of that. They've done a couple of different blend. blends of it, actually. Um, yeah, but I think the blend that everyone goes back to is the OG Amazon Basin. Yes, yeah. I think that's the one that everyone's just really gotten. They they did the extra aged one, which was pretty good last year, where they put some away for a couple of years. Mm. Um, but they've done like other blends, like the Anaconda. Yes, yeah. But but I think again, the, the it was they've never been able to replicate the original. So I'm ex I'm excited for that. Yep, yep. Um, what 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 you smoking for the for this this mammoth? All right. So we're going to be getting into themes tonight, right? So I have the Tatawai Tuxla and the, the Tatawai Sevens Tuxla. Ooh, that so, is. Ooh. This is the Tatawai Sevens blend with a Mexican San Andreas. I don't know if it's showing. Is it showing? 
Yeah, there it goes. Yeah. Mexican San Andreas wrapper. A dark wrapper has been put on this. So we're going to get into the themes of this album. We're going to be talking about concepts of bright side and dark side. Mm-hmm. And I went with the dark side. Took a blend, something tried to, and, and it's the dark side version of it. Nice. I'm excited for that. I went to the light side yep, today because it's yep. bright side, dark side. I went the bright side. And I have an underground. Shade here for the bright side. Yep. Which so, I haven't. I haven't had this. You haven't had an underground shade. I don't think I have. So it's not completely just an underground. It, it's it's a different blend. Um. I so I they actually did that in a perfecto a few years ago, and it was awesome. That perfect. Right. Uh, but I think the shade is a solid cigar. Um. So I've, I, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't had that one. I guess because I, uh, whenever I'm getting underground, I can't give, go past the Maduro personally. Yeah, yeah, no. Again, the tent is pretty good. Uh, the Sungrown's gone, by the way. They don't make the Sungrown anymore. All right, okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, so you're you went with taking that underground and going with a a brighter wrapper, or a lighter wrapper, a bright side, yeah, bright side, bright side, bright side wrapper, yeah. So, uh yeah. So we kind of went with dark and bright, which are going to be yeah, the themes of yeah. today's big theme of today's show. If you haven't heard Jeez. about this, yeah. Okay, so we're doing IO by Peter Gabriel. Which first thoughts? Um, it, this didn't make the top fifty because it took me so long to go through this album. I just couldn't do it by the time. And then when the singles were coming out. I was like, well, I want to wait for the album. And then the album came out, and it's just so much to go through that I'm going to kick this to 2024. But it's definitely going to be, there's going to be songs in here that's definitely going to be top five. Yeah. Of that. I said it's an amazing record, both in scope and execution. I think it's executed extremely well. I, what's interesting, Coop, and, and I'll let you get into your thoughts. What's interesting is it's such a high concept. The concept of it is so dense and what he's doing is so complicated, but the album itself is so listenable and so accessible. Like they're two really like yeah. contrasting things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that you, cause the album isn't dense. The album isn't like, Oh my God. It's not like some Bjork album where it's like, I got to listen. I got to unpack these songs for like 45 minutes right. to understand what's going on. Like the songs are very approachable. And the themes are, are done very well, but the concept of it is so dense. Yeah. That it's like I mean, what are your what are your thoughts? So those are just my initial sort of thoughts about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and some of the stuff I want to say for the history, but I'll make a few points up front. So first of all, you mentioned how this album was released, right? There are twelve mm-hmm. songs with multiple mixes. Uh with with, with, with like two well, it's actually three mixes, but three, but, but there's two. two for the album, right? Yep. And we'll get yep. into that. But so they literally release one single at a time. Yes. Every at every full moon. Yes. So there was one like it so it came out to about once a month. And it was the date when the full moon came, but August had two full moons, right? So mm. there were mm. two releases. And then November came and there were twelve songs released, and then December comes and they release the album. Release the album, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dave, 
I was completely shocked you liked this album. I love this album. So, and, and the reason is it's a, it's a very progressive album, right? It's a progressive rock album. Yeah. I don't see you as much of a progressive rock guy as, you know, other genre. I just didn't see it. Mm. Um, that's not a knock on you, Dave. That's kind of showing, if anything, you, you're always open to different types of music. Uh, so I was shocked you liked it. I'm glad you liked it, right? Mm. Um, because it's just, but I know you like Peter Gabriel too. So that that's I do a lot of this that is quintessential Peter Gabriel that we're gonna get. It into. is. That's a great point. This yeah. is very quintessential Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah. It's very um, and it's a complex album. Um, we're gonna get into these mixes. Uh, if you are a music theory guy, this is your this is your. Oh, this album. is yours. Matt time, man. This yeah. is your time to shine, brother. Yeah. And, you know, the IO theme is just is very the name IO is uh, it, it deals with input and output. Like yeah. it's the and the whole this is the whole concept of this album we're going to get into. So um, what I will say is. Uh, this is just like I said, this is an album um, that uh, there's, uh, we'll get into the mixes and stuff. So I'll hold off on my thoughts on the mixes right now. So I'll get you kind of get into the background of this. There is a lot of background. Yeah. So, okay. Go for it, Dave, because you did a great job with this. Yeah. So Peter Gabriel and all this background is sort of going through different interviews and stuff he's done. Um, so he's been working on this for over 20 years. So oh, he, he, started, <laughs> he started teasing like ideas for it in, 20, in, in 2002. Um, at that point, it was sort of a loose collection of ideas that he would talk about in interviews. That sort of came, but it actually got momentum and came together like in the past few years. Uh, it's his 10th studio album. It's his first original studio album since Up in 2002. He's had records since Up, but they've all been like cover records, right? So they've been, uh, and he's had some famous covers that have played in, I think, Stranger Things and stuff. But They've all been cover albums. They haven't been originals. This is his first original. Um, he, so in, in the grand scope of this record, it's 20 years in the making. He It's his 10th album. He used seven different studios to do it. So he was in studios from London to Johannesburg to Bologna to, you know, there's just tons of, there's like seven different studios. Uh, mainly it's put on EMI. The producers, which is interesting, Coop. So we have Gabriel is sort of the main producer, and then we have Brian Eno and Richard Russell. Yep. Uh, so Richard Russell, sort of his best production note is Gil Scott Heron. Um, but Eno and Russell are only on one track each. So the main producer is Gabriel. Like, it's yes. him. Which sort of explains why we have <laughs> two albums of mixes. Um, so he's the main creative voice. Uh, to put it to, to idea the scope of this record, um, including the choruses, like the choirs that are in it, and there's an orchestra in it, uh, including Eno and Russell and his daughter Melanie Gabriel is on yep. this record. Yep. Um, there's at least a hundred guest artists on this record, at least, if not more. I mean, there's like 30 just like, and that's not even counting like the, the choruses he brought in and the orchestra and everything. It's crazy. 
He it's also at least 100. Yeah, he's also working with a guy by the name of Tony Levin, who I've, I've actually met. Uh, he's the bass player, but he's also famous. He plays the the Chapman yeah. stick. Uh, so that's and and, yeah. and I actually I actually met Tony Levin at a bass convention, and one of, and well, he's got stories about Peter Gabriel. You know, just like nothing bad. I mean, all real just knowledge. He's very oh, close yeah. to Gabriel. I believe he's on every track of this album, Tony Levin. Oh, it's just the stuff. So, like Coop said. Things about Gabriel that people know is that he's a bit of a perfectionist. Very much. He, he reworks mixes all the time. He doesn't. He doesn't like. He he wants certain mixes. That's why there's two albums of mixes. He couldn't decide which mixes he wanted. Yeah. There's actually three. There's another which I'll get into. Um, so one of the reasons he released all the songs on the full moons is in an interview he said it gave him a deadline that he knew he had to finish the. Right. So, so it made sure that he released them, um, or else he'd be playing with them forever. So, originally he had twenty songs, but it sort of got cut down to twelve. So, one of the things coming out of this record is that well, he may continue releasing songs next year because he has these other songs kind of kicking around. Right. So we'll see if that happens. Um, but there oh, were originally a little IO version coming out of this. Yeah, oh, I'm sure there's already are. one plan, I believe. Yeah, with another mix. Um, each single's cover art was a collaboration between Gabriel and a different artist. So each cover art is a bespoke piece of art. Um, and you can look up all, all the artists and stuff. Yep. yep. Uh, so the record comes with a bright side and a dark side, which we'll talk about. So in, in doing the album archaeology, we didn't want to go through both sides because it's just the same song, a different mix. So what we do is at the end of a song, we'll do the bright side version and we just comment, do we like the dark side better? What are the differences? Yeah. That sort of thing. It, um, let me let me kind of say something. Really, it's, hard to, it's hard to tell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It is. Okay. So I was telling Dave this before the show. When I, I was doing the prep work for this, and, and I said, hey, what better way to do prep work than getting in the car, putting on this album, and, and just get making the mental notes, right? So, as Dave said, there's a bright side and a dark side. The problem is these are not, like, massively different, okay? No. In the car, I couldn't tell the difference. And I'm like, no. and I said, there's got to be a difference. You need headphones, it, so yeah. You need headphones. You, you absolutely need headphones. I also wouldn't put too much stock into bright and dark either with this. No. Because some of the songs are bright and dark to begin with. Uh, so I think there's a couple of cases where I could see why he called it dark side. Uh, yeah. And then there's a third side called inside, which is good. Yes. There's a, a third side called inside. Yes. Yeah. With another set of mixes. We didn't talk about, I don't think we did inside for the scope. I know I did. No, inside. So the inside is supposed to come out in March in a deluxe version. Right. But I think it's on Blu-ray uh, already. I think it might already it. be. But the actual if you buy, if you go, if you rock up to your local record store, like if you're in Minneapolis, and you go to Electric Fetus and you're like, I want to buy IO. It comes with bright and dark. Yeah. And then eventually they'll have a deluxe vinyl version that has bright, dark and inside. You see this, Dave. This is an album we're going to be buying like multiple copies. Of. I mean, it, this has just got all the writing on the wall. This is going to be three or four copies of this album I'm going to have. I guess, I guess um, 
Yeah, and it's that perfectionist side of Gabriel where he's like, no, I can't throw any of these mixes out. They, I, they all got to yeah. be, yeah, you know. Um, yeah. So I guess one of the things, too, with this record is, like Coop said, there's a lot of themes around life and death, um, AI, modern world versus nature, the grand universal cycle of... Um, the earth and the planets and that's what happened that's why he had these full moon releases and it's like the con it is so high concept the concept is so high yeah it is beyond any like um any like uh themed album i've ever yeah. came across like you know, like a lot of concept albums, like OK Computer, like uh, Dark Side of the Moon, like they have these themes and stuff, but then to carry it out to release stuff on full moons and his concert is all the it's just crazy. Yeah, is when we very get to high the, concept. When we get to the wrap up, uh, I'll talk a little more about the concept album concept. Here. Um, very high. So concept. I'll kind of hold off on that feedback till the end. But yeah. Um, it is important to note this is a concept album. Very, and, very and, high. And Dave, you made the point too. I want to just read we we normally talk about album construction of the sides. We didn't do that with this. I don't think it applies. No. But, but the other thing is this the songs are arranged in the order they were released as singles, which yes. I thought was interesting too. And there was a single released a month of this thing. Yes. Which, I, I think yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to the songs. But I think the construction of the album is important in the order of the songs, but not in, in terms of like sides. Oh, great. Yeah, you can't like. Yeah. The way it was released, like there's no real side A or B. Like it's more it's this, like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, right. I mean, I assume that this is two different discs here or two. You know. Yeah. Like, I think the order of the tracks is important and we'll get to that. But it's yep. not the. And he's a big we know he's a big album construction guy. He, yes, uh, we know. We remember the whole rearranging of so was yes, kind of interesting. Yes, so that that plays into this releasing of singles and when and that sort yeah, of thing. Yep, agree. Uh, the 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 album and the tour of the album has been met with like universal acclaim and very good sales. This album is getting a lot of critical acclaim. Um, a lot of people saying it's his best work. I think his best work. It's incredible, and I and I kind of listened to it all in one shot. As well with so, he headphones, yeah. So another thing, yeah. If you're gonna go through, I want to hear the differences between the mixes. <sighs> I advise going one song at a time, back and forth. Yeah. You uh, have to, yeah. Track one, bright side. Track one, dark side. Track two. Yeah. If you try to listen to it, you're just not because you could you then and with the headphones on. You will pick up the differences, uh, yeah. and if you're into that, it's it's a really cool exercise. Like I said, I kind of stud myself in the foot when I was driving, but what right. what I was able to do in the car, there's the whole concepts behind the meanings of the songs and the instrumentation. So there were other things I was able to do just listening to it in the car, but I had to give this the headphone listen when I got back. It's yeah, you do, yeah. Um. And if you're a Gabriel head, like you'll love listening to both mixes. Like I love, I mean, in saying a lot of times I'll say I have no idea what 
what no, the changes you, are. Yeah, and you you're not gonna. I still said, loved it. Though. There's a couple you're just gonna. I did a couple of these. I said I really didn't see the difference. I, and uh, there's like I said, you're just gonna. And there's nothing wrong if you don't. don't it's like it's like smoking. Uh, puff, you're not getting the coffee bean though. You're not getting the coffee bean though. It, I got I got <laughs> so nerdy, Coop. I'd be like listening to a song, and I go to the dark side. I'm like, wait a minute, is that guitar a bit further back in the mix? And I go yeah. to the light side. I was literally us. lining up the tracks uh, timeline on the timeline as well. Uh, so if you like, if you like yeah, doing that, I'm a little louder. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. If you like doing that whole mix thing, you'll love it, like I did, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's get to the actual song. So we got he kicks it off with Panopticom. Which I hope I'm saying correctly. Panopticom, yeah, something like that. It's P A N O P T I C O M. It was a new word I learned, by the way. I didn't know what this was before. Like, what is this? And I went to. He's in an interview, and he was saying that this is the name. What he's talking about with the song, the song is about a fictional data globe that can connect all human beings and bring the world into a new creation. Uh so which is a big thing with this input output. Like input output, you can also look at uh, he a lot of AI and modernist stuff with input output, but also you can look at like death and creation and that sort of thing. Um, it, I really like this song. It's got those he's setting out those themes of creation, AI, input output, connection, sort of early on. Um, cool synth work. Uh, I love the guitar, and I love his, I love his vocal on this whole album um and i think too in this in this track coop which i think he does a good balance of is as is part of his pop and prog sort of aesthetics i think he has a good balance between the prog and the pop because he has a very good sort of pop sensibility um as you know so is an excellent pop record so i think he has a good balance of those things um, which makes the songs very enjoyable and very approachable. I think there's only one song that's quite hard to, like, quite inaccessible, but um, yeah. all the songs have this good sort of balance to them. Um, for me, the dark side of the mix, some some of them, some of them are further back in the mix, uh, and in exchange for others being more front. So I think in the dark side of the mix, the guitar was a bit more back. But the electronic stuff was a bit more front. Yep. So I like the bright side better, but it's all personal. Like he kind of played around with where instruments were in the mix. Yep. Um, but no, great start to an album. I, I it hooked me in. I heard the song and I was like, oh, I'm really interested in where this album's gonna go. Yeah. Would you would you think about it, Coop? So, a couple things. This song will hook and grab you quickly. Like mm. you said, you made that point. Uh, it's gonna hook you right in, and you're, you're gonna be very interested. Now, I did some research on what a panopticon is, and oh, thank and, God you did. And this was, I guess, it was the design of a building, right? Uh, with mm. an inbuilt system of control. And the idea is they built these buildings uh, to allow all the prisoners to be observed by a single security guard, uh, without the yeah. inmates knowing they were being watched. So I kind of was wondering. If this was, you know, kind of again, the steam of watching and, and stuff like that mm. was playing mm. into um this whole thing, like you said about the fictional data globe, right? Is there someone yeah. watching the whole fictional data data mm. globe here? Mm. Um it was um 
but I thought this was a darker song, Dave, to begin with. This is mm. th- this is where I felt. I, did you? I got the impression this is a darker song. It just had a, a little more of a of a melancholy, not melancholy, but it's not one that you're gonna kind of bop your head and smile. No, with. and there's a couple songs on this record that are a bit. Yeah, I wouldn't say dark as yeah. such, but 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 it's not something that's gonna depress you either, right? No. Um, no. and and I guess I kept thinking of this whole idea of the prison, right? Even though mm. I really didn't pick up anything in the lyrics about a prison, it, this kind of was playing into me a little. Um, and I knew you would like the bright side of this better because I think the big difference was that acoustic guitar. Yes. In this one, yeah. and I would say in general, I like the bright side better for most of this album. This was one I actually liked the dark side a little better. I thought not only did it do it play good with that, elect, you know, I'm a little more into the electronic sound. Um, mm. But I thought it did a good job with the percussion in this one as well. Uh, what I found, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, this is, despite the fact it's a darker song, this is a song you'll start mm. singing along in your head with. It's oh, pretty yeah. kind of hooky. Uh, so it's a good opening track. Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, I think Bright Side, Bright Side and Dark Side, as I started, went through it, is I'm like, oh, the Bright Side is the, like, I found it, is the Bright Side's the more, like, poppier one. And the dark side's the more like if Peter Gabriel could release whatever he wanted, one. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I felt. It, 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 it is. Um, and it was almost like the dark side had a little more of a uh, of a pure progressive feel. Yes. The bright side was, okay, we're going to tone the progressive feel down just a bit to kind of reach. Yes. The- In general, I like the bright side mixes better. But there's a couple cases where I did like the dark side one. And this was one I. Of- I agree. Me too. Yeah. Um, the next song is the courts, and this kind of goes to your sort of yeah prison stuff here. Yeah. What do you think about uh, the court coop? So immediately when I heard this song, even though it sounds nothing like it, I don't know why I was thinking of Shock the Monkey, right? But I had mm. Shock the Monkey in my head, you know, and because it was hard to explain, but you know, I always look at Shock the Monkey as kind of some sort of punishment you know in this yes. but gabriel one thing that gabriel did really well with this album is uh the cigar industry can learn from this they did he did press releases on every one of these right and oh yeah and he talked and this is a this is a song the court social justice theme all right and he says in here a lot of life is a struggle between the order and chaos and some of the senses the justice system is something that we impose to try to bring mm-hmm. some element to the order of chaos that's often abused. It's unfair and discriminatory, but at the same time, it's probably an essential part of our civilized society. We mm. really, do, we really need to think sometimes about how that is actually realized and employed. It, that's, I think, really what I took out of this. Like, it's a commentary mm. on the legal system here. Mm. Um, and I'm assuming it's more from a, of a uh, European here. Um, the interesting thing is the dark side theme worked a little better here. Um, but again, it was so subtle. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really good song, and like I said, lyrically, I thought this was one of the better lyrically done songs on this album. Uh, so we kind of go dark, and I think we kind of get into again more of the darkness. And then the other thing I want to talk about is connection with this, right? Because mm. again, the, he's talking about connecting with the justice system here. Yeah, uh, connecting, making order out of chaos, connect, having a past 
in and out of that, you know. So so I took a lot of those themes and the themes I thought worked well with this particular track. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's excellent points um, thematically. I mean, I more comment on musically. I think the mix for me, you had this sort of really organic sounding percussion in the beginning mixed with like electric, which musically mirrors the theme of AI input output. There's a lot of, as we get further into the album, there's a lot of natural imagery that he sort of is playing with, but it's juxtaposed to like this AI sort of um, technology based stuff. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot of tree imagery and stuff as we go. There's, further a, whole song, there's a whole song coming up on that. Yeah. yeah. So he starts out that you got this organic sounding percussion. We have references to technology with negatives and positives. Um, and there's a lot of that in this album, too. A lot of, like, input-output. What's the trade-offs that you're making? Um, I think the chorus in this track is fire. I love it. It is. It is. Uh, he has some really good choruses on this album in general. I, I said that the chorus reminds me a lot of Leonard Cohen's Everybody brilliant. Knows. That was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Like how he's putting those opposites and stuff yeah. together. Um the piano bridge is epic. <laughs> I just think the song is just such an epic like it, the scale of the song is so huge. Like it's yeah. a huge scale. It, it is. It's a great it's a great like I said there's a lot to like you want to talk about unpacking a song. This is one not as hooky as as uh Panapacom, but but again. No. Uh yeah. But I think you can listen to it and enjoy it. Absolutely. I um, like this track a lot. I think, too, I put that such a great pop knowledge and execution. I think that um, on this brighter side, he, he kind of that sort of pop sensibility makes the songs, even though they're very deep and complex, like really accessible um, to people. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Yep. Uh, I said the dark side really plays with the vocal, less of a pop vibe. I said it was more sinister. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I agreed with you. I, like you get a, the darker feeling of the song comes out on the dark side, but I like the bright side better on this one. Yeah. And for me, it's sort of like, you know, six and one half dozen of the other. Like, I'm kind of like, I like the bright side, but the dark side is pretty good. So I yeah. mean, it kind of give and take. I found this one that you could tell the difference, you know, a bit more than some of the other ones. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you on that one, too, as opposed to the next one, which I didn't get as much. No. No. Uh, playing for Time is the next one. And I said we have hit Radiohead territory with the piano intro. Very yeah, uh, We've abandoned the AI here and focusing squarely on the human side of input-output, the collective memories being recorded. Um, he, he had, there's a bookend to this track as well. But it's a very emotional, sort of a fragile track, kind of getting to the essence of humanity, I found it. I found it a bold choice for the record in the sense that I felt like we were heading down a certain path with the first couple songs. And then this is a total change of pace song. And I was like, wow. And it was, and it was really good to do, but um, I think he has a couple of these change of pace songs, which for me really makes a good pace for the whole overall record. Yeah. Uh, which is good. I, I, I said, I don't care about the dark side, which is only minimally different. Like it's like, I don't know. This was just a darker, another darker song. I thought too, it in general, yeah, no matter which side you listen great to. Song. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but it did, but it totally 
like instrumentally anyway, a totally different pace and vibe yeah. than what we've been getting up to this point. Absolutely. Um, so what did you think of playing for time? I liked it. Uh, you know, I looked at what Gabriel said on this. Um, I won't read the whole thing, but he said, you know, he felt this was more of a personal song about how you assemble memories and whether we were actually prisoners of time or whether that's something is, is something that can actually free us from those experiences. Right. So this is a song all about memories and everything. And, um, you know, he talked about, you know, you have richer memories when you get to a certain age. And, you know, he's now in his 70s here. Yeah. So and you learn from these types of things. Um, so, again, I think you you kind of talked about um, you the, the words you used. I think you used the words human side of input and output. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with that a lot. Um, but I felt the memories when I used I, I wrote something here. Memories are more haunting on the dark side. But I, it was really for both. I meant. Memories can haunt you in a positive yeah. or negative way. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm kind of going at. But but it's having these memories again, and that kind of connects you across time. Is what I yeah. looked at. That. Um, the you made a point. You know, I didn't pick this one up till you said it. Uh, the whole Radiohead piano intro thing was absolutely on target. I when you said that, mm-hmm. I'm like, I was I didn't pick that up till you said that as well. Well, and I think. I think it's more Radiohead going Peter Gabriel. Like I think Radiohead got a lot of its prog sort of, yeah. sort of leanings to Gabriel, and like yeah. this is coming back here. Yeah. 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 But the other thing too, and we'll get to it, but when we get to so, it's interesting when we get to the song so much, which is near the end of the album, is comparing these two tracks because they have similar themes and just comparing how they're executed. Yeah. Um. Because I got the vibe too, Coop, with this song, with this playing for time, is that also the idea of killing time. It's like trying to have time to like put these memories in, like not having enough of it. Right. Whereas we get later in the album, it's more about not worrying about the time, how much time you have, but how you spend it. Yeah. So it's sort of a turn on that, where this is looking at, well, how do I get more time to record more of these things? Where later we're going to look at, he's going to be talking about, well, it's, it's, it's not a question of time at all. It's about like quality. So yeah. it just gets, he gets deep. He gets very existential on this record. Existential is a great word to say that. Uh, now we'll go with the title track, which is my favorite track, which is IO. Very good track. I'd probably put it in my upper echelon as well. I'll tell you, mine's coming up my favorite track. All right. All right. So what, what, Kick us off with Io. How did you feel? So, so kind of middle of the album ish. Right. So this is the first song I think where it kind of goes. This is where it kind of switches gears and gets a lot more optimistic here. Um, I thought this was a much more positive track that we had. Uh, the whole Io thing uh, means input output. Uh, you see it on electrical equipment, and you know Peter Gabriel noticed that, and he said when he saw that, it was triggering ideas about stuff. Pulling, you, you stuff you pull in and out of yourself, right? In physical, non-physical ways, right? Um, and then he used this as a starting point, and he said, "This is this what that was the starting point of this idea." And then trying to talk about the interconnectedness of everything. The older I get, I probably don't get any smarter, but I learned a few things, and it makes a lot of sense <laughs> that we are not independent islands that we like to think we are, but we're part of a whole. I, if we could see ourselves better connected, still messed up an individual, but as, as a part of a whole, maybe there's something to learn. I love this analogy that he did with this mm. here. So, and this song just plays into that beautifully. 
you know, he just says basically we can't you can't live in isolationism, I guess, in a, mm. in a, in a bubble. Um, yeah. And you're going to get a lot. I'm going to hold up. You have some great comments coming on the whole connection thing, how he does this. I'm going to hold that part off for you. Now, musically, he incorporates a, a, a South African gospel choir in here. It's mm. not, it's not a heavy got and this gospel choir is on a couple of the tracks, other tracks. Yeah, it's not a heavy gospel thing. It's a subtle gospel thing, and it's mm. exactly yeah. So we've talked about gospel influences on tracks. This is I thought this was very subtle, but it kind of gave this song a little more and and a gospel feel. Kind of is like secret sauce. To make to mm. uplifting a song, I, I always think, and, and yes. I think the little like it's using a dash of salt here. He used the dash. The gospel choir is not. Like I said it's it, it's you really have to. In fact, the headphones really are. You'll pick it up. Yeah. Um. Brilliant track. Worthy of of how this evolved into the title track. And this is, I think, mm. the other thing. I think this is the first time he's ever had a title track on it on an album, from what I understand. Okay. I don't think yeah. he's had. I think I saw that somewhere. I didn't go validate that, but I believe this is the first time you ever used the title track. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, great, uh, song, great song. Yeah. Oh. You guys said you have some great comments here about about the connection piece. Uh, so I'm gonna well, like, you... yeah. I mean, I love that quote you had, Coop. You've been you've been digging. I love it. <laughs> bringing the bringing the knowledge. Um. My first note is, man, that hook is fire. Total fire. Another <laughs> hook. Another one that hooks you. Grabs you right in. Worthy title. Really? A worthy title track. That's a show idea, by the way. Worthy title tracks we have to do. Oh. That's that a, that's great. another one I think I have yeah, an idea. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. It's a great Absolutely. Hook. Yeah. Uh, the title track this is sort of the core thesis of the album. Yes, it absolutely uh, is. Which is that everything is connected. So if you want to think about it, it's sort of like Peter Gabriel is Yoda explaining the force sort of thing. Because he's kind of like nature is, you know, we're all, we're connected to nature. Nature is connected to us. Humans are connected to each other. We're also connected through technology and there's a circle of life. So everything's connected. And a lot of these songs are about how do we find that connection again? And all of those connections are part of this cycle of creation and death and destruction, input and output. It's this idea that like, it's all part of the same thing. Um, which when we get to creation and death and that side of things with the input and the output, uh, we're going to get to that later in the record where he has a very, I guess, inspirational view of that, you know, this idea of mortality of, of people's uh, mortality, not being or being like not being a, a source of, I guess, darkness. But for him, it's like one more piece of evidence around connection. It's very yeah. philosophical. Yeah. Um, uh, I put an uplifting song that's both deep and philosophical, but also uncomplicated in his own way, uh, just like his mix of, pro of pop and prog. Yeah. I put this as classic Gabriel quintessential so Gabriel, stuff yeah. on the hook. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, this is gonna definitely be a top three song of 2024 for me. Um, slight changes on the dark side. So I I couldn't even tell. It was hard. It was hard to tell on this one. Yeah. I mean, what I thought maybe is he pulls the vocal back at the end on some of the dark side mixes. He plays with the vocal, which I'm not a huge fan of because I love his vocal. Right, but the vocal gets played around with a little bit. Um, 
you know, personal taste there. But yeah. this, this track is incredible. Uh, it was, like I said, uh, a worthy title tr- title track here. Oh. Um, and it just, uh, yeah, it's uh, especially if you're a Peter Gabriel fan and you've liked his stuff in the eighties. Uh, this mm. is this this is a very easy song to kind of uh, annex uh, you, to get to appreciate. It's interesting because as going as we're going through this record, this album isn't just like, uh, you know. 20 years in the making, a culmination of all these ideas. It's also a culmination of his like musical talent. Cause you see Prague, you see pot. It's like, it's like a greatest hits of all of his different elements that he's made on all of his records are sort of condensed into like one, you know, item. Cause yeah. you have the pop hits, you have the prog stuff, you have the hooks, you have the themes, like, Everything you love about Gabriel is just like the essence of it is this record. It all sort of like comes together. Oh, this record's so good. Um, you know, Dave, the other thing I'll just say is so this is this was released in April under the full moon. When I was looking at Spotify, these songs had quite a few plays, uh, streams. I mean, they were played, they're not like go numbers. You know, I'm talking seven digits, these things got so, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, and the concert's been well attended and well res- well reviewed. So yeah, four kinds of horses. Now I read this differently from Coop, so I went with the more maybe I went with like my am very like Christian centered. I don't know, but I went with like the four horsemen. When I see four and horses in the title, I immediately go four horsemen. Four horsemen. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so now you have a different reading, which I think is great. Because it gives a different perspective on this. But I didn't know um, until I kind of did a little research. So, Well, I did no research, as you could obviously tell. No, you did a lot I, of research. So that, yeah. I went, I went Four Horsemen. I kind of locked into that. I found this song probably the mo- the densest song uh, or hardest to ex- access at first, like musically, than his other stuff. Uh, I think it's way more dark. And we're definitely in a tonal shift. I found that we're in this tonal shift from IO, which is an incredibly uplifting sort of song. We have a bit of a tonal shift here, which could be like, if you're looking at an album, like maybe this is the first song on side B coup or something, or, you know, cause it's a definite shift in tone, or maybe it's like, we're near the end of track a or side a, and we're shifting tone. Um, but it's a definite shift here. Uh, I went the four horsemen, and for me, the Four Horsemen fit into this sort of uh, theme around creation and destruction. Um, fits in great thematically. Uh, I think the, his vocal's great on all these songs. So oh, I that, yeah. The vocal's amazing. Um, the dark side, I thought it was hard to tell, but maybe the mix wasn't as full. It, and it's hard, it sounds very sort of like airy-fairy to say, but the, the mix... It didn't have it maybe it had a bit more space, like it was a bit more dialed back, I thought, in the dark side, but it's really hard to tell. Um, so it could have just been a sparser mix. Um but yeah, so I think I got a different vibe than, than Coop did, but I think we both had I had this sort of it's a, it's tonally a lot darker, but I had this sort of like apocalypse vibe. because uh, I was re- I kind of read it through that lens. But what did so? How, what are your sort of thoughts on it? Yeah, um, 
this was um another haunting song in a lot of ways. Um, the whole four horsemen. I didn't take the four horsemen theme quite the same way as you did. Um, but before I kind of get to that, there's a couple points I want to make on this song. One is this, you know, pretty much an orchestra is used on every track here. So yeah. it's, it's pretty much, we haven't really talked about that, but I think this track more than any of the other tracks made a great use of the orchestra or orchestral stains. Um, and about a five minute mark of this song, there's kind of a he goes to a spoken, it's like a spoken bridge he has. Mm. He's singing, he's more speaking. I thought it just worked, worked brilliantly on this. Now, when I when I actually was doing, um, I did I just did some googling, like four kinds of horses, right? All right, and okay. and one I did is, uh, when I said four kind of horses, it a Buddhist parable came up, and the idea is this Buddhist parable is um, th there's four kind of horses, and in basically they each have different types of personalities and stuff, and it's the idea is this is how, an illustration oh. how different people have different sensitivities, and it's mm. part of the Buddhist teaching, right? So Ooh. I I kind of saw, and then I when I did a little more. I could see some of the themes that he was putting in this song with that. Uh, so, but the other thing is he really, he kind of, um, these themes, he has themes of religion and peace on yep. one hand and violence and terrorism on the other hand. And he connects, mm. and what does we do? He's connecting them again. So it's going back to this. Um, and I guess these, these, these themes of religion and peace versus violence and terrorism um, so he's kind of trying to balance those types of things in there. Again, I just thought this was another masterpiece that he had on here. It was masterpiece lyrically and musically on this this track. Um, and uh, uh, this track, like I said, it's not as hooky or catchy as some of the other tracks, but you'll really mm. appreciate what he's bringing to the table with this one. No, it's a good, it's a good point, and I love your reading of it, um. As well, because I, I like I said, I didn't get that. So, but I, I don't think you're wrong. I don't I think what you said up. is wrong. I, I like what you kind of said as well with that. Uh, well, it's just, it's just, it just shows how these tracks. You mentioned creation and destruction in here too, which is kind of what I was kind of saying too. They're just, but I think the thing about it with Gabriel is he just has these tracks and he just lays it out there, and he's like inviting you to really do like unpack it, you know, like to try and get the meaning out of it. Um, like it's an invitation to this input output idea, uh, and it's a definite like. I mean, I like your point about it being haunting. Is like we're at a definite. This is a definite shift in the record, so we're at a definite break here, tonally, and then we're gonna then pop into Road to Joy. Oh yeah, so this is so, my, this is my favorite track. Yeah. So why why don't you kick us off then, Coop, about the right. why you love this track so much? Okay, so have you ever seen Peter Gabriel live or even on video live? Oh, just on video live, not okay. like live live. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so Peter Peter Gabriel Peter Gabriel is not a guy who stands on stage still. Uh he no. typically sings with the headset on, so he doesn't even sing with a mic. He's using a headset as opposed to holding a microphone, and he's very he's he bops a lot on stage, right? He's he's just very energetic on stage, even in his seventies, right? Uh, but uh, 
it's it's it, it, he's a joy to watch on stage, right? As well, just say, and this song is that quintessential Peter Gabriel. This is this is a positive up. It's the most positive track on here, um, and uh, it's just quintessential Peter Gabriel. So if you kind of like um some of his more positive stuff, uh. This is just gonna make you feel good. Road to Joy, mm. the title says it all here. Um, yep. but again, the thing I thought that really stood out on this one was um the, was the string arrangements. I think the string arrangements yes. for the secret sauce on this one, uh, where it really kind of makes it stand out here. Um, I'm gonna hold the the analysis of the dark and the bright because you did a very good uh breakdown of that better than I did so I'm going to kind of go with what you said with that because you have some good uh, things to say on that yeah I, I love this track too I found like this part of the record here we had that sort of break with the four types of with the four kinds of horses yep and now we're shifting into a far more like uplifting positive here's how we get there sort of vibe because we're going to have that so much olive tree uh i think like love yeah love can heal like we're a very sort of like the second half of the record is now going to push towards well he, here's how we get to connection here's what connection could do for us sort of thing and this is sort of where we start with that so we, i put we move from destruction to creation and inspiration this definitely has so vibe. I got a lot of so vibes. I got a lot of Biko vibes on this record. Yeah, I don't know why Biko. Got a lot of Biko vibes. Interesting. I don't know. Um. So we're starting to cycle over. There's this sort of idea. I found there was a great balance of sort of these electro pops and fizzes with some classical pop notes. Um. And I put this note here too. Like for all the, there's a lot of electronic experimentation on this record. But for all of that, it's quite a classically pop record in a lot of ways, I think. It, um, it, like, it, it, it is. It's, it is. It's very like approachable. In terms of like the accessibility. Because I think when Coop was talking about Prague, we both see a lot of Prague in this record. I think when people hear Prague, they think, oh, my God, this is, some, you know, yeah. highly dense, you know, experimental. It's not. It's it's it's. He's he's has these prog themes and prog sort of touches, but they're wrapped up in his like in his just like undeniable poppiness that you talked about, his sort of pop energy that he even has on stage. And it sort of makes it all go down a bit easier. It's just it's just so great. Like like his pop sensibility on this record is so good. Well, so um, the other album that brought up some of that pop sensibility. It's so good, and you know, it's a, and, but yeah. it's been, but he hasn't had a lot of that in his career. It's so good, yeah. But it's so good. It's yeah. a, and then the the dark side. I said is far more dialed back and has a harder edge. I think you could pick a lot of the differences on this a bit easier. Yeah, um, I agree. And I said I like both for different reasons. I, I I totally agreed with you on that as well. Like, there's some of them you can't tell the difference, and some like as I could tell the difference, but I still like both of them. Yeah. So you know, you mentioned you know, there's a great electro electronic sound to this and and this is where but it was funny how the classical strings worked in this song yes. so well with that but he was able well, to bring he, both of those together but it goes to even musically he's playing with that theme of connection where he's got this electro fizz with these classic strings and even though they're very different they're all connected 
And, you know, it's just this whole, it's everything kind of feeds on itself for me. Yeah. Why this record is so great. So you're talking about connections at the, at the music level here, um, which is a yeah. great, oh. yeah. And then this song, Road to Joy, it's just a connection type of song. I mean, it's just the it's, theme. The name of the song says it all. I don't really have to explain it. And there's a connect, a path that you take that you have to be connected to to get there. I just find everything from the lyrics to the arrangement to the mix is just so well executed. Yeah, and such a such a like yeah. clear vision that he had. It's just yeah. so good. Yep, I agree. I can't say enough good things about this record. Um, so he moved to that so much. Which we touched on, I touched on earlier as kind of being a bookend to playing for time when they're doing similar yeah. themes. Uh, <laughs> Coop knows my musical stylings. <laughs> I have a comment in here. <laughs> um, but yeah, get into it so much. So we're going, so this is another sort of like pace breaker yeah. um, that we're getting into here. But go ahead. Yeah. So this song is about getting old, which yeah. Peter Gabriel's 73. So he's not young. Uh, so it's a reflective song. And Peter Gabriel himself said this was a polarizing track. It's got a little bit of a somber note. It's, uh, it, it may be a little slow, uh, but but lyrically, it's it's really good. So you know that show? There used to be a show called Name That Tune. Yep. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And they had something called Bitter Note. And I can, I, can, I can name that tune in seven notes. And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so seven notes in, I said, this is, is going to be a classic <laughs> day track. I said, they, they said, this is Dave all over it, right? Um, I thought the dark side played a little better on this particular track as well. Um, yes. but yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, yeah, I said, this is everything that, um, I don't know. I just find, I know Dave likes when the pace slows down oh. a bit like this. So I love this track, Coop. I, I, I had like seven notes in. I said, it's a <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right, man. Um, so, okay. So. We have playing for time, and in some albums you see these sort of bookends. We had that with Aretha Franklin, where she had Chain of Fools, and then Natural Woman is sort of bookends of like, you know, different ends of a relationship. This is sort of different ends of mortality in a way. And I'm very interested. It's very interesting. They said it's polarizing. So, so he's saying like the pace of it, the the slowness of it. People are gonna like tune right. out. Yeah, sort of yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just okay. like people may not buy into this particular right. track. I, uh. I love it. I love it. I, I. So it said, uh, much like playing for time, we are taking a breather, we're taking the pace down with a largely piano-based track. It's a good bookend. So pay, playing for time is how you're just trying to store all these memories before you run out of time, and so this idea of trying to store these, and you're playing for time, you're trying to get more time to store these things. Um, whereas in this, it's more about how you use your time that you have left and then ultimately giving yourself up to the fact that you're going to run out of time and just embracing that and then moving on with your life. Yeah. And, and, and this idea of the freedom you get from embracing that and coming to terms with that instead of fighting it. And then it gets into connection and that you're connected to the universe in this larger thing. Uh, it's so good. I love, see, and I, and I put, so funny you said that, because I put this track is amazing, and I find the quieter points of this record being the most effective. Um, I love the pace. I love the pace of this record, Coop. 
how he can like he he, he brings you up and then he comes down and then he's yep. up and then he's down. It's just a he, great yeah. Pace. He does a good job. Yeah, he does a good job with that. And I think that's where the importance of song order comes in. In that, like, you wouldn't want to say put playing for time and so much back to back, or something like that. Like that would yeah. be too much. You no, it'd be to too much. Be, like I said, yeah. we really didn't get into album construction, but he, I think he did a good job because this was entirely re- based on the um, the order these were released in one, yeah. one, one every almost every month on the full moon. So I said the dark side has some added production on the chorus. And I and I cue coop. I said I like the dark side maybe five percent more. Yeah, it was a slight edge with that one. But it was so I love it. Yeah. Love it. So so we're we're moving into finishing off this thesis of his and we're getting into like, well, how do we get there? Yeah. And 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 sort of thing. Like how do we get to this IO, this input output, this connection he's after? And we get to Olive Tree. Uh which you I mean Olive Tree for me immediately you're like peace and love imagery with the olive branches and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Like you immediately go there. Um very poppy and celebratory I found kind of celebrating the connections and how we can move throughout the world and the universe through all these connections. I said it gets very celestial, uh, which goes into that full moon thing. And we're talking about lost connection to spirit and we lost connection to each other. How do we get that connection back? A very fun chorus. Um, and uh, I found the dark. I put the dark side a bit, a bit more proggy and less. Poppy, yeah, I agree. I agree on that one, which I put which I liked more. The dark side, because I was drawn to the lyrics more. I found yeah. the lyrics stuck out more for they me. Stuck out a little more, yeah. In the in the dark side than the, than the bright side, yeah. Uh, but again, he's starting to lay the map for like, well, how are we going to get there? You know what's happening yeah. here? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we get to that natural imagery that we talked about with the tree, and we're going to get into more natural imagery as sort of as this thing, and you know, finishes up. Yeah. Um. Ooh. Like your note here. Uh, so let's get to you, Coop. I mean, I didn't have a ton on that track, just sort of like, you know, some basic thematic stuff. No, you had good good stuff on that. Um, you know, this song had a uh like I said, it was much more upbeat. Mm. It had a Phil Collins vibe to it. I like that point. That's a great point. And I didn't think of that until I read that note. That's a great. Right. Point. So he's got the strings do great up the horns. The horns really what what it that's kind of what it said. You know, I can see Phil doing this song. Like uh, you know, Phil being yeah. a part of this song. Uh um there's some great bridges with some really cool bass sounds in this sound too. But uh, and that's I'll give credit to Tony Love. But yeah, this had a Phil Collins vibe to it. Um, and look, there is no more metaphor for connection than the tree. We we use the tree theme so much in in uh in 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 society. I mean, we use it with coaching trees, right? Family yeah. trees. I mean, we we try the, it, the tree is such a mechanism to connect. Then you have trees in a forest, right? You know that. You know, so maybe it's not the same plant, but they're in that same forest, right? So I, I thought this was really playing well into the whole IO thing. I'm not sure why he picked Olive Tree, but but uh, okay, uh, I'm okay with that. Um, so yeah, I really, I really, really dug this one. I was a little more on the on the bright side one with this one, but 
Yeah. I, I like what you the point you made I didn't pick up either about, you know, being a little more progressive um with mm. this. But this is another this is a very approachable song. Uh if you're into trying to get into this album. This is probably uh this is this is a very good track. And I said it 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 all the themes of this are captured really, really well here in this one. So now we're moving like I said, we're moving we're moving to the sort of the conclusion of this thesis he has around connection and we go from the olive tree to love can heal, which seems like a pretty good progression here. I mean yeah. this, this, the title the, the title's pretty on the nose. Um, yeah, yeah. Um this one think, yeah. was, this was actually released. So Olive Tree was released in August of twenty twenty three. But because it was a blue moon, there was a, that means it was another full moon. Mm. Um, it was Love Can Heal was also released in August. August of 2020 was the only month that had two singles released. It slowed down again. It's haunting and a little trancy. Mm. I, I put the comment it's the weakest track on the album. That's not like this track sucks. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Um, but Gabriel really described this well. He said, this is a dreamy, uh, experiential, yes. abstract imagery. A carpet mm. sound, a tapestry oh, which is woven together, not carpet necessarily sound. supposed to stick out, but just part of a whole. There you go again. Jesus. The theme is right in there again. Um, deep. Yeah. And he also says, in a sense, I always a feeling about being connected to everything. And in a way, the next evolution of being connected to things is a feeling of love for everything. So I oh, this track. OK, and this, I went back to Olive Tree. Again, olive tree, we have these connections on the tree, but then I kind of looked at the trees in the forest. And mm. the, I, the trees don't exist in isolation in the forest. And I kind yes. of put this track in the same mold, if that makes sense, where mm. it's again this idea of just we're still maybe there's connections we have in one sphere, but then you go outside that sphere mm. and there's other connections. So that's that's kind of how I looked at it. And then the whole love can heal thing is obvi an obvious uh yeah. An obvious thing in here. Um, it's a pretty, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it it is a it, this is another Dave type track, is what I'll say too. <laughs> well, you, you got you got me there. Yeah. Uh, I put I love the string opening to the track. I found it very Hans Zimmer, the sort of opening of this track, and I and I love how you describe it as trancy, and he talks about it as dreamy. I talk about it had this sort of like fastness of space. Yeah, like it's quite. Well, you compare it to sort of other tracks in here, like the the, the one you're talking about. It's very Phil Collins like. It has a lot. There's a lot going on, uh, and it, it's not that it feels crowded. It feels full. But yeah. This feels very vast. It's very empty. Um, I said it has a very spiritual vibe, as he sings about ripping away our defenses to face the immense nature of input and output. Very existential song I found about sort of the soul moving to different planes and it gets really, it gets really sort of like, you know, um, out there. Cause yes, it's soul moving to these different planes of existence and creation and destruction is all part of the one journey, which he sort of is talking about in that quote. Um, I loved it. Uh, I found it stripped back musically, which sort of accentuates the space of the song, the transness that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, those sorts of things. I love it. I love the space of it. I love it. It's a very fragile, beautiful song. I love this song. I love how big it is. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, 
The bright, I love the bright side so much that dark side didn't offer much new to me. I, I was a bright side guy on this one as well. I agree on that one. It's not to say that the dark side is bad. No, no, I agree. Like uh-huh. Yeah. When I'm looking at him, it's like it's not really giving me a whole lot yep. different, you know. Um, and now a very if we're we used to look like good finishing tracks, a very like a great title to a finishing track for this record. This is home. Yeah, we are here. <laughs> we have have gone through all the different things that are going on in the world, how we need to and, and now we're here. We're home. Yep. Um I gave me Tom Waits vibes in the beginning. Uh that was an interesting analogy with some of the percussion, yeah. It had this percussion, it had these hand claps, very sort of sharp. Yep. In the beginning. Uh it seems that we're at the end of our journey of rebirth and he has found home in connection. Connection, connection, connection. And I guess it goes into this input and output, the idea that like they're both part of the same. Um, I found a very comforting track. So it talks about finding your place in the universe. Uh, great vocal. A uh, ton of natural imagery around growth, creation, connection. A lot of a lot of those things. Um or no, sorry, we're not at final track. What am I saying? But we, lots of connection. The dark side, I found it less, bu- less, I said it was less busy musically, but they play with this vocal that I don't like. I just, just give me the vocal. I think they put some effect on it, it like a little bit of thing on it. It was funny. I, I actually made a comment saying the dark side worked better here, but I agree with this thing. If they didn't play with the, you know what? The fact that they play with the vocal, I think does take some of it away, especially uh, towards the end of the song. Yeah, I, I yeah, actually you got a good you got a good vocal. What you don't need to mess with it. Yeah, he's for seventy three. His vocals are amazing. Oh God, it's yeah. just like you lifted him straight off a of so. Yeah, like they're they're like, it's timeless. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. No, no, good. I'm good. Um, well, first of all, you I didn't put the Tom Waits thing together, but I did say the song was about the percussion. Like, there's yes. some really good percussion in here. And we uh, know that Tom Waits has those hand claps and some of those really unusual yeah. types. Yeah. Of, I remember we were going through a comfort zone exercise, and I was really impressed with, <laughs> with Tom yeah. Waits doing that. I found a little Latin-esque vibe with this mm. song. Now, I was going to Tampa. I was in I was in Ybor Cities. I don't know if that was playing in my mind. Oh, yeah, on the mind. It Maybe. may have been playing on the mind, but but I felt a little bit of it. Um, but the vocals are a very key point that you make, and Gabriel talked about this, that he was experimenting with a higher octave vocal here, uh, mm. and he was trying to get a more emotional voice as opposed to a conventional the, the conventional voice effect at the beginning of the song. So the idea is, you know, as this song goes on, he wanted to get a little more emotional with with, with what he was doing here with this song. I think it worked mm. really, really well. But I think mm. you're right. The dark side took away. The dark side may have went a little further with that than it should have. Now that I'm yeah. saying that, so I'm, I'm kind of back on your side with that just from hearing your thoughts. But it wasn't, again, it wasn't huge. You talk about metaphors. We talked about the tree. There's no bigger metaphor than home in the whole connectivity world. Mm. You have a home base. IO comes in and out of the home. There's yeah. no, there's, there's no, um, there's no bigger metaphor here. 
and mm. and it's like you said, your words were you. This was the end of the journey of rebirth, and and uh, yeah, yeah it, it just it it's a great metaphor. It fits in with the theme well, but but yeah, I I liked this was another track I really liked. This was oh. a yeah, this was an excellent track here. Uh, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. No, I gotta say, you know, just even hearing some of your comments, this is one I want to go back and hear more because I'm sure I go back and hear, so I'm gonna pick up other things. But I want to listen to this whole album again. Oh yeah, I, I don't uh, want... it's interesting your idea of this like home base and and and, and core because it's sort of a theme that's gonna come out for me a lot more in the next song. Yeah, this idea of a yeah. of a sort of like home home base yeah. or like you know core. Oh, because we got to and still coop. Yes. So we're we're near the end here. We got um a couple tracks left. What two tracks left? I think. Yeah. Yep. And still. So, what are your thoughts on this? I found this fascinating. Yeah. I didn't get this. This your bit here is great. Yeah. So I put I pulled a lot of this from the Peter Gabriel press release, right? So he talked a lot about this song. So this is a song he wrote for his parents. All right. And he started out by saying, I wrote a song for my dad a number of years back, which I was actually able to play for him, which was called Father's Son. When his mom died, he wanted to do something for her, but it's taken a while because he felt uh, he felt he had to feel comfortable and distant uh, enough to write something. Right. So he had to kind of distance himself from when his mom died and, and do that. Uh, he was trying to write a little bit in the style of the music that his parents had responded to. So. He kind of puts, he says, I think there's some music from the 40s that had an influence on this song. In the middle, I wanted to write my mom a beautiful medley, uh, melody. She loved classical music, so we have a beautiful cello playing right there. It took a while to get that right. I, it can't be too emotional or too underplayed, but I think we got it uh, there in the end. That cello, man, that mm. is that is mm. the sauce in this song. Mm. Um, this is a very, per this is probably the most personal song that I thought on the album that, that he yeah. did. Uh, I, I would put so much maybe in there and uh, praying, praying for time would be the other one, uh, other personal songs. I found this one to be the most personal one where Peter is now putting himself into some real positions about, again, connectivity. Now the connectivity mm. I picked up here was about his parents. I mean, and staying yeah. connected to his parents, paying homage to his parents, uh, connecting to the things that, that made his parents really happy. Uh, I think he just, I think he struck gold with this song. I think it was a great track. Mm. No, I echo a great point. I love that quote you pulled. Um, I love it. I, 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 I connected to that elect. There's this electro percussion in the beginning that sort of sounds like a heartbeat. Yes. Yes. Kind of has. Yeah. Good point as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I said we have this idea of the input output going full circle to him both as a as a boy and as an adult, and the love that he experiences as a boy, the beauty of nature, great, great point, are, are constants that are always there amongst all the change in the rest of the world. It's sort of, the, and that's where the and still kind of gets the idea is that like with everything going on and still like this is here, yeah, like this is this this love that he experienced is always going to be there, which. Your quote sheds way more light on this idea of, you know, about his, his mom and the love of the parents and that that sort of being kind of the core. Um, the pace is down. We're digging deep into love into space. It's stripped back. This is the longest track on the record. Yes. 
it's like seven minutes or something, maybe close to that, maybe. Yeah. Um, and it's a real journey. Like you're kind of really, he's really taking you on a journey here. Um, and I love it. I thought the dark side was a bit sharper, not as warm. Agree. I wasn't quite into the dark right. side as much. Uh, but yeah, it's just a great song. It's a great song. So again, kind of connecting this with the concept of the album, right? Uh, the previous track talks about home, right? So I looked at this. This is how I kind of interpreted this. Peter Gabriel is home. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yep. When you're home and sometimes maybe you're in your home, you, you tend to reflect on a lot of things. All right. And obviously, yeah, you think about memories with, you, with your parents, right? But you, 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 I, without seeing that quote, you nailed this as saying, you know, he talked about him as a boy and an adult. And the love he experienced as a boy, and you know, it's tied in with his parents as well. Mm. Um, this is someone who had a very—I got the impression he had a very good relationship with. Unless I'm reading that wrong, he had a very good relationship with his parents. Um, so you know, now he's in his seventies. Uh, I don't know if he's a grandfather yet or not, but you know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's not young anymore. So I—I I love this track following up. This is home. I think it was—it was, it was yes. brilliant. Oh no, it's great. It's yeah. a great track. Yeah. Uh, and that gets us to live and let live. What a closing track! A, yep, yep. A closing track, and I think is a good extension of these other tracks, in the sense that he's talking about all this love and stuff as being this core, and then live and let live. I think is like when well, you put that into practice. Yep. Um. So we got we're at the, we're at the end of this existential journey. Through creation, death, connection, nature, technology, all this sort of stuff. Gabriel's asking, how much pain and hate do we have to endure before we figure it out, forgive, and turn ourselves over to the spiritual journey? Um, and that, and I put my other note is that we need to realize you are part of a larger universal plan, mm -hmm. and petty angers and vengeance are meaningless in the end. We need to yep. focus on connection and the good we can do. Yep. Um, so it's this idea of you have these grander themes of input output, this like universal connections and that within that sort of the hates and angers that we have on earth are so inconsequential. When you look at the larger whole that we really need to figure that out and, and, and move past that is sort of what, what the message kind of is. Um, now I, I didn't find, I didn't find it. Like, I think you could read that and be like, oh, is this like, you know, kind of a darker track that we're all doomed and what are we doing? And I didn't read it like that. I found no, it inspirational. I, I found it inspirational, like feeling like, well, we can get there. And if we get there, this is what it's going to be like. Um, I found a lot of hope in it. Uh, and I and I put I don't know why, but I put it harkens back to his tracks like Biko. I don't know why. But it yeah, Biko, I can see it. I can see that. Make his Biko, he's talking about Biko and his unjust um, treatment that he had and maybe like the inspiration that Biko had for him and that sort of thing. Um, I thought the dark side has some mixed changes. Nothing that really stuck out to me, though, in the first listen anyway. But uh, but yeah, great closing track. Agree. Uh, Peter Gabriel knows how to put a closing track on an album. He, uh, he really does. This is an appropriate closing track. I thought this was amazing. Um, you know, there's a there's a theme of um, 
I think you mentioned this. There's uh, an inspirational, optimistic type of message in this track. But there are some themes he explores, which may not give you that impression at first. But this is where they use the gospel vibe with this. Yeah, He puts it in there. And that's when you want to uplift something, you put the gospel thing in there. It's going to do it. Um, and Gabriel talked about this song about being about forgiveness, tolerance and optimism. Uh, he said this is a joyous, rousingly positive closing note for the album. So exactly what he was doing with this. But mm. then he talks about when he looks at these forgiveness and tolerance things. Right. He said that this song was very much inspired about what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, you know, mm. there's there's violence and brutality. Um, and uh, at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find a way to get peace right now. Um, and he, he mentions, you know, peace only happens when you respect the rights of mm -hmm. others. And uh, he thinks this is an important message for him and his life. Uh, you either belong to that, uh, you either belong to that hurt or you free yourself and forgiveness from that hurt. Right. So I think he just that's why I said he, there's some messages in here about things going on in the world. But he's not doom and gloom with this either. No. Um, and I kind of again piece this piece now is another type of again going back to track ten where he's home. When you're home, there's this reflective type of capability. The last one was a personal reflection. This was more of a social reflection he's doing in this track, and I thought it was a a great landing point. Uh, and if I like the fact that finished this on a very positive note as well, I agree that the bright side uh, kind of did it more for me. The dark side didn't really. Can't get much up for me. Yeah. Um, love this track. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was a great landing point for me. So now that we've kind of gone through this record, which is quite lots of big things right. going on. Right. What are your, what are your, sorry, your final thoughts, Coop, on, uh, okay. on IO? Yeah, I have four. I actually three in the notes, but I'm adding one. So, first of all, it's very interesting when I listen to IO because for a long time, Peter Gabriel was looked at as a strange duck in the music world, right? Yes. He's shocked a monkey, Biko, a sledgehammer with, yeah. you know, pounding, you know, sledgehammers. And, you know, uh, this I didn't feel Peter Gabriel was the strange duck in here at all. I kind of mm -hmm. now looked at him as, as he's now become what I call an elder statesman in the music business, right? Mm -hmm. Where I look at him and he's able to put an album together like this, right? So that's my first point. The second point is, this is why the Grammys suck. Okay? <laughs> I understand the album was released in, 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 in December. But these singles yeah. released all year. You couldn't throw the man a bone? You couldn't find one of these songs to get into these uh, rock yeah. That's an absolute miscarriage of justice by the Grammys. Shame on them. Shame, shame. Well, you have a chance to do it this year now, okay, with I.O. This album better be nominated at least for Rock Album of the Year. I yeah. like it. Shame on the Grammys for just not ignoring this work on, on, on an absolute masterpiece. Um, The third comment, the concept album is not dead. That's a great. Mm. I I've been worried for a long time. The concept album is dead now. Peter Gabriel he found a way to release a concept album. Oh, release one song at a time on the full moon, and you know what? He that's a way in a singles driven world that we're in in the music business, less mm. album oriented. He found a way to do a singles oriented thing, 
and tie it in. Good point. Yeah, the album oriented piece. I, I thought this it was brilliant. Uh, my guess is you're gonna follow one mix or the other. You're not gonna probably. Mm. Uh, you're probably gonna just go one side or the other. I'm curious, like I said, what this uh the, the third mix is gonna be. Um, yeah. but yeah, but um, like I said, this is you know this is we didn't do we haven't done album archaeologies for new releases ever. This is the we've always done no. a classic album. Um, this was the first time we did something that's only been released in a you know a year time. Like, the album only came out in December. Yeah, and uh, it it's an amazing amazing musical journey you're going to take with this album. Oh. Whether you like it's Peter so, Gabriel or whether you like Progress oh. or not, you need to listen to this album. It's so good. I mean, coming from a guy that, like, if you look at his early stuff when he was with, like, Genesis or whatever, and he's running around on stage singing wearing, like, a horse, like a like a mo- fox mask. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, what? right. He, he, like I said, he was a strange duck. He's very that, theatrical. That's not what you yeah. very. The, I mean, that was a whole progressive thing. He played into the whole theatrical version of progressive, well, progressive rock. But progressive rock evolved away from that eventually too. Yeah, yeah. But to to have that person put this out, it's like yeah. I I never thought of the Grammy thing until you brought it up. But yeah, they were out. These singles were out there. Like, I went. I went. I went and looked to make sure I didn't miss anything. I didn't miss anything. I don't think I missed anything. Well, with what those. were they doing? I I don't know. It's they, not. It's not like this is some work that like Coop and I are big on. So like Gabriel and everybody else is like, oh, whatever. Like the the reviews of this record are like universally four to five star. This like, is yeah. This is this is a case of every artist has one great album left in them, and he oh, just did this one. So and, and shame on the Grammys on this one. This is an absolute miscarriage of justice. I don't even know how else to say it. How how some it, of these singles weren't on there. They got one more year to get it right because the album could maybe get nominated. But. I said that this may be his best work ever. Yeah, absolutely. And his easiest, easiestly his highest concept. Um, I said that this makes Dark Side of the Moon look like a four-year-old's drawing of a horse. It does. It's so grand and huge. Which is why we had to do it, because the more I read about it, I'm like, we got to do this record. I'm a, I'm a little more on the progressive rock side than you. I wouldn't say this yeah. is a classic progressive rock album, but there's heavy progressive elements in it. And I'm telling yeah. you, this is one of the best albums that I, I, I've heard. Um, you know, and I just, like I said, it was, a, it was the hardest album archaeology to prep for. And I guarantee if I went back and did a redo of this in a year, I'd come up with all more in this. So I got to get this on vinyl. I have to. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I might wait for that third for the uh, deluxe. Like I said, I, I can see one. us owning multiple copies of this when all said and done. Oh, it's so good. Um, but the other eight tracks, too. Is that going to release the other track? Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Like yeah. a little EP or something. Yeah. Um. So I said it's sort of it's like the optimistic version of Radiohead's OK Computer. Mm-hmm. So like OK Computer is more like technology and the downfall of society. We live in this like dystopia. Whereas... Gabriel is taking that vision, but he's saying instead of fearing technology and seeing it as the end of everything, why don't we look at how we're connected to everything? Whereas Radiohead's OK Computer is more about the disconnection of everything uh, and how that's you know killing society. His is more hopeful in the sense that it's like, well, what if we had connection? What would that look like? Um, a very good pop sensibility. His vocals are timeless. Uh... I love the pace of it. I think yeah. it's paced extremely well. Yeah. 
Uh, and it goes to, like I said, Gabriel has always been great at album construction. And this goes to that. Like, the way he paces it out is just amazing, yeah. I think. It's, it's just like how themes build on each other, and he goes up and down and paces the songs out. and Yeah. Oh, I mean, you can see how it take. See, the problem is you hear all oh, record took 20 years. And you think it's going to be all oh, it's going to be this like mess of. You know, no. disconnected ideas, and it's just this like central vision that just you could feel it just getting sharper and sharper over time until you got like the perfectly like perfect. Like there's not many perfect albums. I think this is a perfect album. I like, guess perfect. This is, you know, you know, this is one we should be talking about historically. Uh, I mean, you talk about my new oldies list. I don't know how anything beats this for 2024. It's a spoiler. I mean, this is something. I'm looking at this. This is this is a landmark album. Mm, landmark. It it, 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 oh, it is. You find me something that comes to the level that this album is is produced. Oh, it's so good. Uh, and it, what, the interesting point that you made is trying to find a modern way. To release a concept album in like a singles driven market is by releasing these singles and then putting them together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It, it was it was brilliant. I think Gabe. I think that was deliberate. I think Gabriel saw what was happening because if he would have thrown the twelve songs out in yeah. one album, everyone would have been lost. So yeah. what he did it, is yeah. these are complex tracks. He does a press release with each of them, and I went back to the press release a lot because it was some good com. At least I got an idea idea where he was coming from with that. Mm. Yeah, and I think too it 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 drives buzz to be like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like when all these are together. Yeah, <laughs> which oh, but it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant yeah. album. It's no, it amazing. was. It was. Like I said, landmark album. Uh, fantastic. Uh, how's your cigar going? I just finished it up. Uh, I tell you, the, the t- you know, most of the Tuxa people tend to like the Avion size. I've been very nice. Yes. I've been high on that um, that seven size. I just literally finished here, um, and uh, it uh, it's gonna get you. Know, this cigar is gonna give you that notes of uh, mocha, which is that coffee and chocolate. Uh, there's some earth, cedar, and pepper. There's a vegetal component to this blend. Which you know that has that little bit of a vegetal note in there. It's not overpowering, but it kind of it plays nice with the other flavors here. Um, it's a medium strength, medium to full bodied smoke. Uh, I think it's one of the better. Because I, I know people like the Albion, but the seventh was very nice. Uh, I love that seventh size as well. Uh, mm. That is, um, you know, it's one of my uh, favorite sizes. It's a it's a classic Corona Gorda, five and five eighths by forty six. Great size. Yeah, I uh, I'm almost done with mine. Kind of nursing it along. No, the, I like the shade. It's you get you get those uh, notes they are looking for, but it has a bit more meat to it, Coop. It's a bit meatier of a cigar than I expected. Like it's got a bit more body than I thought. Yeah, it it's what you expect from Drew Estate. You know, you're not going to get the the ultra mild Connecticut Chateau Real, which they just re released, has more of that mild piece. Yeah. Which, which, uh, so you know, I would say that, but yeah, this is uh, what I would say I would expect from a Drew Estate, Connecticut. If yeah, that I have it sense. in the sh- in the short. I'd like to have it in the Corona Viva size. I think it'd be quite good. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I would agree with you on that. Um, but new music forty five coupe. Yeah, if you haven't had enough music. 
No, no. Um, want to mention our friends at uh Cigar Hustler, located in Deltona, Florida. Uh, they have a uh, a great selection of um, you know, brands in their store. You know, they have mm. uh boutique. They have tried and true blends. Uh, um, great lounge, great customer service. Um, you know, and uh, great. You know, just a great. Atmosphere, your humor, great. It's everything that's good. I didn't get to go there, Dave. It was very tough. Ah. I was driving through there, but I got through way late when I got into the Orlando area. And then coming back, it was way early, right? So, ah, um, so I didn't get a chance to get in there. And I, I, I regret it. I'm, I apologize to these guys. I, I'd rather not rush a visit with them either. Um, yeah. so, um, you know, as far as that goes, um, I, I, I said, there is nothing I can really, uh, like I said, it's it's a great store. And if you can't get to the store, if you can't get to the store, um, get to um, so what am I looking? Get to um the the online the online piece. Thank you, um, uh, because they have a uh, a fantastic uh, like they do a fantastic job at getting um the releases out um mm. to you. So like I said, uh, when the limited release comes out. Uh, Hustle is going to put it in our, on their email blast. Uh, you want to get on the email list and check them out on social media as well. Um, and of course, they have their own brand, the Postani, uh, the Postani Connecticut, which is doing very well for them. Uh, got got on some end of year lists I saw um, this year. Even the half wheel guys mm. had it, um, had it on there. So um, and, you know, so definitely, it's it's definitely making a lot of lists this year. For them, uh, consensus comes out already came out earlier today. If we're hearing this, so I don't know if it's on the consensus or not, but it did land on half wheels top 25. It was yeah. too late to make the coupe list anything post PCAs next year, so we'll see what happens with that when I review it. Um, but yeah, great guys, um, can't, uh, good guys. Now, coops, coops, uh, now it never has been answered. Yes, I, I, uh, on, yes. <laughs> on side A, so I. This was last year's, Mom, I think. This was last, last year's. Last year's Mumford yeah. and Sons. I, I said, where, uh, are they, where are they Williams? going? Boy, yeah. you want to talk about getting a now or never? You bring Pharrell in. That's a that's a. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so past now or never for Coop. Uh, it's the first track in like five years, and there's a record coming in like October. Or something. Yeah. So they're following up with a record. It's a joint project with Pharrell, I think, because Pharrell is now. One of the head, one of the creative heads at Louis Vuitton, and I think the song has something to do with like a Louis Vuitton show or something. Interesting. Anyway, anyway, love the beat that Pharrell has on here. It's got this sort of revival tent vibe to it. It's a bit of call and response. They're back to their sort of folkiness, so it's a good sort of blend of folkiness and modern pop. Great track. I was, uh, and I think Pharrell played well on this track with them. Um... You know, I, I I look at Pharrell. He's like the Tom Hanks of the music business. Yeah, yeah. He's very successful. He's everywhere, and he can play any type of music. He could you could put him on any type of song, and he would do great. So well, it's like you said, Coop. If you got if you're trying to bust out of an hour, never. It's a good thing to do is bring Pharrell Williams. Up. Bring Pharrell Williams in. We'll see what happens. But yeah, they they uh they needed like I said they needed to do something. Mumford and Sons. I think we were, you know, going back a few years ago. This was something we were gonna do the next the next big thing. It didn't happen. So yeah, and the song's doing well, so let's hope that that spells good things for the record that's Absolute, coming out. Absolutely, yeah. 
Uh, side B is Usher with Good Good. Yeah, I think we're getting a little bit of a. Yep. Obviously, he's timing all this in with the Super Bowl. Yep. I. Uh, he has the album coming out. Uh, my first note is that Usher still has it. <laughs> he's amazing. Uh, has a modern R and B beat with this amazing vocal, and Summer Walker and Twenty One Savage are on it. Um, I put unlike the green, unlike the Green Day single. This has me very excited for, for his record. Yes, yeah, I agree. Green I Day, agree, not yeah. so much. No, I agree. Uh, yeah. Good, I'm very excited. So that's good there. Album archaeology. I got a lot of Biko vibes. So for album archaeology homework, I put Peter Gabriel's Three, uh, which is Melt. Which yeah, the uh, yep. It has Biko and Games Without Frontiers. Some of the themes that he has on this record are sort of on that record. So it, it'd be good to just do some Gabriel. Yep. I got a bonus here, Coop. Okay. Now, you can only find this on Bandcamp, unfortunately. But it's called Gold on the Mixer EP Forever. The EP is called Forever. So Gold on the Mixer is a hip-hop collective. And they actually emailed me on the Cigar Jukebox contact me page oh wow and they're like and they're like hey check out this record and we get that from time to time um because we are a music podcast so we get like blast emails out from people that's actually pretty good uh jeff jarrett is a great track on it you can find it on Bandcamp. uh i'll send coop the uh the link so you can put it in the notes is jeff jarrett i so this one is Jeff Jarrett. They talk about the wrestler Jeff Jarrett. I think they're talking about the wrestler Jeff Jarrett. Uh, okay, you know he is actually people don't realize how successful he is as a as a in the wrestling business. Even though he's not known as a great champion, he's very he did a lot for the wrestling business. Uh, Jeff Jarrett. You know, people like, love wrestlers, man. Yeah, but he he actually you know Jeff Jarrett actually just started promotions and stuff, and he's. Tried for many years to compete with Vince McMahon and stuff, so he uh, he was part of that for a while, and and he split up. But but uh, he was a very good wrestler too. I'm gonna say, yeah, he was a very good wrestler. Um, man, look, talking about input output. Look how analog I am. Look, I got show. Look, I got show notes. Look at that. Look at all that stuff yeah. there. Yep, yep. But no, that's all I got, Coop. No, um, it uh, it was um, like I said, this was an amazing show. I hope folks uh, give this album a, a listen to give us some feedback oh, as far as things go. Um, as far as the next show, stay tuned to our social media. I know we're going to be doing our, our Super Bowl show in a couple of weeks at some point. So that may be the next show or the show after. Uh, we will figure that out. We'll get that out. And that'll be 120 uh, as well. Um, and um, yeah, we, uh, we're we going to be getting into a very busy February on uh, Coop. Yeah. Uh, not only will I have the new oldies list, but then I leave for Pro Cigar uh, the third week. So, um, and I got a little surprise. I think Dojo's going. So, uh, oh yeah. So I think he is going. I, I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but uh, uh, yeah. So we've been talking. So I, I may be hanging out in the DR with, with Eric again. So uh, look out, DR. Yep, look out. The I know he's going back to Florida today. Uh, oh, he had last night his uh, stock market show. Uh, so uh, I caught part oh, of it. I watched that. I love the stock market. Yeah, show. yeah. They, uh, there, there wasn't a, quite a lot of fire on this show. Oh, uh, but they, they had some good takes on it. Is what I'll say. So they didn't really blast. I think Southern Drew and Villiger took the took the heavy blows last night. 
Man, I should have put. I was thinking after I show, I should have put Southern Draw on Now or Never. They, yeah, I. You know what? I don't know how I missed that one either. They, they absolutely are. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think the I think it may may have passed them too. So, um, made great cigars, but they just they've had a problem connecting in the market here because they've gone so heavy into the catalog, and yeah. you have to balance it. They and they haven't balanced it well. So. We shall see. But oh, last last point, Dave. Oh. Uh, Dave, uh, I haven't. Uh, Sirius XM has a Shaggy channel. Uh, I saw that. Yeah. So I have not. So is that a new channel? Is that a new channel? It's, then? it's a it's a limited channel. Um, so it's going to be mostly reggae. I have not listened to it yet. I just found this out. Uh, it's on the app, so it's not. But Does he uh, host it. He's on it. Yeah, he's got. Oh. on it. Yeah. But I don't think he, it's. I think it's kind of like the Springsteen channel. Like I said, I haven't listened to it. I, I will have a report on it the next time. I, I just found it. this out like yesterday, so, and it's been out for about a month, and I didn't know it. So, really? Sirius isn't the best at communicating this type of stuff. <laughs> Obviously not. Well, Sirius has been Sirius absolutely made a critical mistake. They got rid of the deep track, the deep tracks channel, which is the deep cuts rock channel, on the regular subscription. You have to go to the app now, so you can't listen to that channel in the car. And they have been getting destroyed over getting rid of that channel. I I'm oh. shocked that they haven't restored it yet. Um, so we'll see what happens. They've done. They I remember about fifteen years ago they got rid of the Disco Channel. Uh, but oh, they did. What? They did. Bring, yeah, they it used to be called Chrome, and they got rid of it, and then they brought it back at Studio Fifty Four. But it was never the same as the old Chrome Channel. I'll say that. So, uh, yeah. So I'll have a report on the Shaggy channel next time. Oh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, we'll have to see what's happening with that. But anyway, thank you to uh, Dave. Thank you as well. Great work as always. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Um, but that's going to wrap up Primetime Jukebox 119 into the Annals of History for January 2024. We will catch everybody on the B-side. Take care, everybody. <laughs>